0: We're continuing our, our series today on asking for a friend, and today we're, we're going to look at uh, salvation uh, and a variety of questions that we've received, because um, we, we've been answering questions throughout this series about God, about life, about our church, and um, so I think even as we get started, just to, to make sure that we're all on the same page and understanding what, what salvation means, I just, I want to I talk about that first. And so what is salvation? And so, so the basic definition of, of salvation means it to be being saved or rescued or delivered. But for Christianity, for those of us who are disciples of Jesus, salvation means that God has saved us, has rescued us, has, has delivered us. We, and, and here's the thing, we, we are saved both from something and for something. right? And so we are saved from sin and death. Right? And, and we are saved for union with Jesus and, and new life. And, and so we, we see this passage, we see this most, probably in the most fam- one of the most famous passages in the New Testament, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. And so this, this verse tells us that, that God saves us from perishing, right, to, and for eternal life, which in a nutshell is the basic idea of salvation. So the rest, of, almost all the rest of our, our questions for today are, are related to this theology of salvation in, in one way or another. And, and we're, we're going to jump in on one of the most debated questions um, in, in, since the, the 1500s, and that is... What is predestination, and does Charter Oak Church believe it? So it's a two-part question, right? And so, so let's answer the, the first question. So what is predestination? Some of you, you're like, I've never even heard that word. That's okay. Uh, but, uh, and so if, if that's where you are, just stay with me, and we'll, we'll, we'll talk through this. So predestination is the belief that God predetermines, predetermines who is and who isn't saved. In other words, it, it's the belief that God chooses who will and who won't receive salvation. And sometimes uh, those people God chooses to save are, are referred to as the elect. Okay, so, so logically, right, so predestination means that Jesus only died for the people that God chooses to save. In other words, he, he died for a limited number of of people, a no, limited group of people. And so Christians who, who believe in predestination argue that, that humans are just so sinful that, that we would never accept salvation on our own because our, our sin just, it's going to prevent us from actually choosing God. And therefore, people can't receive salvation unless God chooses to give it to us. Now, technically, I think everybody believes that, that no one deserves to be saved. The, the very fact that, that anybody is, is being saved, it's, it's an act of God's grace. Paul puts it this way in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. So, and line we just said about what predestination is, does Charter Oak Church believe in predestination? No, we don't. So one of our central beliefs is about salvation. Here's, here's what it says. Salvation is God's gift, free gift to us, but we must accept it. We can never overcome our sin nature by self-improvement or good works. Only by trusting in Jesus Christ as God's offer of forgiveness can anyone be saved from sin's penalty. When we turn from our self-ruled and sinful life and turn to Jesus in faith, we are saved. Eternal life begins the moment we receive Jesus Christ into our lives by faith. And so we believe that God offers salvation as a gift to all people. But we must accept that gift. In essence, we, we believe that through grace, God has given people free will to either accept or reject salvation. And so for those of you who are kind of theology nerds and like those big words that I, I learned in seminary that I'll use every once in a while, this is called Arminianism. Arminianism. And, and, and here's why we believe this. And so first of all, Scripture tells us that, that God desires all people to be saved. And he doesn't want anybody to perish. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, it says, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. First, First Timothy chapter 2, verses 3 and 4 says, This is good and pleases God our Savior, who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. And of course, pointing back to, to John 3.16 as well. It says that God loved the whole world, and, and whoever would believe in Jesus will be saved. And so it's, it's not limited to, to a select group of people. So, so if, if God wants all people to be saved, but predetermines ahead of time who actually is saved, it just seems like, like God is being insincere in his offer for salvation. And so we, we believe God's grace goes before us. It, it frees us to believe. And so we, now, now look, just take a look around the room. We believe everybody here is a sinner, right? If, you're, if you believe, if you think like you're perfect, like you're gonna be really disappointed with our church, okay? But like, so we, we believe that everybody is, is a sinner, right? But here's the thing, we, that, Knowing that we're left to our own devices, like, that's what we're going to choose. We're going to, we're going to choose separation from God. Right? But, but we also believe that, that God's grace frees our will. Right? So this is, this is called prevenient grace. So, so think about it. Let me, let me put it in a different way. So, so sometimes we'll say, hey, we have free will. Yes, we do. Right? But we also we can think of a different way. We, we have a freed will. A freed will. That God's grace frees us to choose him or reject him. I love the way the Apostle Paul puts it in Titus chapter 2 verse 11. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. And because of that verse, at Charo Church, we do not believe in predestination. We believe that God desires all people to be saved. That Jesus died on the cross for. for for the whole world, not, not just the people who are going to heaven. And so that's God's grace. He, he frees our wills. He gives us the ability to choose Jesus. John 3.36 says, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on them. And so that's kind of pretty big thing to start with. And, and, and one of the questions that, that I've, I've had, you know, especially recently, and especially I think because of, maybe because of the pandemic, but a lot of people have been asking is, it, is there something that I can do to lose my salvation? And, and another way that was asked, that was submitted is, if I accept salvation and then, then can I do something to lose it later in my life? And so technically the answer to this question is yes and no. Right. Good politic, politician's answer, right? But but let me let me explain it. So so if you think about kind of losing your salvation, like hey I lost my passport now I can't get back into the country, right? Like that's kind of the mindset you have about about salvation, right? Like then, then no, you you can't lose your salvation. Like you can lose your passport, okay. It's not as if there's, there's some kind of sin or a big sin or something that you can commit and be like, out of the pool, no more for you. Right? No, it can't get yanked away from you. So, so someone cannot lose their salvation in this sense. But here's the other half. They can choose to forfeit their salvation. So, so remember, like, having salvation includes having a relationship with God through faith in Jesus. So, so, forfeiting that, that relation, forfeiting that salvation is, is like forfeiting or abandoning any relationship. Like we, we, we can lose a marriage, we can lose a friendship, right? we can walk away from it. And, you know, it, and, and it, ha- it can happen. To, to someone who, who genuinely believed in Jesus, they put their faith in Jesus, but, but later in life, for whatever reason, like the, the brokenness of this world and the things that, are just are, that have no answers to it, they're just like, I, I can't believe anymore. I don't believe anymore. I'm walking away from my faith. It happens. I want you to hear something. God still loves that person. Unconditionally. Right? They, they may be walking away from that relationship, but God is not. They may be rejecting Jesus as their Lord and their Savior, but God is not rejecting them. He still loves them. And, and, and my experience is generally that this happens kind of gradually as they're just getting beat up by life or, or whatever. It's like, I can't take anymore. And they walk away. Now, I, I do want to admit that there are people who, who come to faith in Jesus and they kind of go all in and they're all excited about it and then all of a sudden, like a week later, they disappear again. And yeah, so I'm like, did they really give their life to Jesus? Or was it just an emotional thing? Right, so I ask, were they a Christian in the first place? But, and and here, here, listen, I just, this is so important. God never walks away from us. Never. He, he, He will never stop loving you. His love for you is perfect. There's nothing you can do to make him love you more, or there's nothing you can do to make him love you less, because his love for you is perfect. Even if you decide, I'm walking away from him. There's nothing you can do to make him stop loving you. Here's how Paul puts it in Romans chapter 8, verses 38 and 39. For I'm convinced, I love that word, convinced. There's no shadow of a doubt in his mind. For I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers... Neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. God will never stop loving you. And so if there's, there's nothing in creation that can stop that, then that means that you can't stop God's love for you. But God gives us the freedom to walk away. Remember the parable of Of the prodigal son that Jesus told. A father loved that son. Son walked away. Left everything. He prayed and prayed that one day that son would return. And whatever he did. He ran. and Embraced his son. And welcomed him home. Because his love for his son never stopped. And it's the same way for you and for me. His love for you and for me will never stop. Perfect. So another question that was asked that's, that's related to this subject is, is a tough one. Well, people who commit suicide go to heaven. And after the last service, I had a lot of people come up to me and say, "Hey, I was I was raised Catholic, and you know this is the first time I actually heard somebody address this." And they just like they were raised in such a way they thought, "Yep, you you absolutely go to hell." commit suicide. And I want to make very clear, we do not believe that. We do not believe that someone who commits suicide is sent to hell. The only thing, the only way that someone goes to hell is by rejecting Jesus as your Lord and your Savior. And so if someone who who has accepted Jesus, they put their faith and Jesus as their Lord and their Savior, and they commit suicide, they do not go automatically go to hell. And, and, and listen, just let, let me just as strongly as I possibly can voice that, that suicide is never the right option. If you or, or someone you know is struggling with, with suicidal thoughts, I, I implore you, please, seek out mental health and, and professional support immediately. Like speak up. As, as, as a church family, we, we will never judge you or, 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 or think less of you because this is something that you're dealing with in your life. And, and listen, for, for the rest of us, like, like we, we should never shy away. When, when, when we hear someone, a brother or sister, someone in, in our church or in a family or friend or that's talking about suicidal thoughts, Like, don't run away from that. Engage, please. Love on them. Walk beside them. Help them to find the, the help that they need with this mental illness. You know, as I said earlier, you know, salvation means being saved from something and for something. That we are saved for eternal life with God and we are saved from condemnation. And that's, that's what God wants us to hear, that that's why Jesus died for us. No matter where you find your life and what you're struggling with in your life, that that is true for you. So this leads to our next question. So why does hell exist? Wouldn't it be the most loving for everyone to go to heaven, even if meant God had to force them there? Right? Another two part question. You guys love two part questions. Hey, when when we do family meetings, you know, someone be like, hey, "I have a pastor. I have a question." Well, actually, I have two questions. You know, or I have a follow-up question, and I get it. So so let's take the the second half of this question first, right? Wouldn't it be the most loving thing for everyone to go to heaven, even if God had to force them there? No, it wouldn't. It would not be more loving for God to force someone to go to heaven. Why? Because love is never forceful or coercive. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 13, 5, love does not insist on its own way. God will not insist on getting his way by, by forcing us to be with him forever. And I think we all understand this, that, that love includes risk. Right? God, God is risking that, that some people will not want to spend eternity with him. And, and frankly, I mean, come on, if God did force everyone to go to heaven, then free will doesn't really exist. So the, now the, the other part of that question is, so, so then why does hell exist? And so the, the basic definition of hell is, is eternal separation from God. And we, we believe that heaven and hell are, are real places of eternal existence. And so, so why is it possible for people to be separated from God in the first place? Well, first of all, it's possible because God is love. You might be thinking, because God is love, that's why it's possible? As as strange as that might sound, but I want you to remember that that love means that that God's not going to force us to choose him. We're given free will to, to reject God, which means that we can choose to be separated from him, which means that we can choose hell. So it's possible because God is love, but I also want you to know it's, it's hell is, exists also because God is holy. 1 Peter chapter 1. So it says the next, it says chapter 2 there. It's 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 15 and 16. It says, But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, Be holy because I am holy. I get it. some, some Christians, like they, they, they want to emphasize the, the love of God, right? But then when they do that, they, they seem to do it at the exclusion of the holiness of God. And so if God is only love, then it just it seems ridiculous for hell to exist. But God is also holy. And he's not just holy. He's holy, holy, holy. The Lord God Almighty. When you see something that is three together like that, you know it's perfect. God is perfectly holy holy. Right? And so to say that God is holy, it means that he is pure. That, that he refuses to turn a blind eye to sin. It, it means that, that God is going to execute true justice. That evil will be dealt with. That, that sin cannot and will not exist in his presence. So if, if God wasn't holy, then, then it would mean that God doesn't really care about destroying sin from our lives. I don't know about you, but I I don't want to serve a God who just says, hey, hey, do whatever you want. I'm just a loving God. Like, hey, everybody sins. Just just deal with it. You'll be fine. Ultimately, I don't think any of us want that. No, we we want to serve a holy God who isn't soft on sin. But here, listen to this. Who isn't soft on sin, but does everything in his power to destroy it that 's the kind of God that we want that 's the kind of God that we have that 's the kind of God that we need and so all of this talk about sin and brokenness and all this stuff it, it really sets up our final question, and that is why did Jesus have to die and to me, I think this is, this is one of those phenomenal questions that you know actually theologians have been wrestling and, and dealing with this question for two thousand years and so Let's see if I can get 2,000 years worth of of theology in like five minutes, okay? Are you ready for this? So, first of all, we have to start with a fundamental truth, that that evil and sin, they they are and and they cause havoc, right, in in the world, that, that God created as good. Like, sin ruins things. It, it ruins relationships. It, it causes injustice. It, it damages anything and everything that it gets its hands on. And so we live in a world that, that is broken and tainted because of sin. Sin, sin is like the disease, a, a disease that, that attacks our body and destroys everything that it comes in contact with. So whose job is it to, to get rid of Sin. It's God's job to do that. God, God hates sin, and, and he longs to, to rid the world of it. So, so the question becomes, so why doesn't God just kind of wipe it all away? Why doesn't God just rid the world and clean the world of sin and evil? Well, because we're humans. And because we're, we're, we're humans, every single one of us are, are sinners. And so we, yes, even us who, who are followers of Jesus, we contribute to the evil and the sin in this world. We we contribute to the problem of sin. Actually, it says this in Romans three twenty three: For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And that what that really means is that if, if God were to get rid of every trace of, of evil in this world, then he have to get rid of us. But you see, the good news is that the story of, of Christianity is it's a story of how God is removing sin from His creation and saving us. And so we see this both in the Old Testament and the New Testament. So in the Old Testament, God God did this through a a symbolic action that that may, I mean, for us, I think we we look back and we're like, man, that is really strange because we just don't have any context for what they did. So so instead of allowing human beings to, to die because of their sin, God allowed animals to be substituted in our place. And so the biblical word for this is atonement, atonement. And so Old Testament books like Exodus and and Leviticus, they they lay out how all of this this ritual happened. So like in in Leviticus 5, 6, it says, as a penalty for sin they have committed, they must bring to the Lord a female lamb or goat from the flock as a sin offering. And the priest shall make atonement, there's that word, for them, for their sin. And furthermore, and I get this, this is kind of strange for us today. The blood of the animal was used to, to purify or wash away sin. And so they, they did this because blood was considered a source of life. And we, we see all, the, see, all the, see this also in the book of Hebrews in the New Testament. It says in Hebrews 9:22, "In fact, the law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness." But in the Old Testament, there was, this, there was this tiny little problem. Actually, it was a ginormous problem. Right? That, that over time, the sacrifices that these Israelites were making became nothing but empty gestures. Like it, and, and so sin and evil were, were still running rampant. It, Israel was, was corrupt. The, the priesthood was corrupt. Sin had become so powerful that, that the sacrificial system that was set up had become corrupted. And evil was not being dealt with. God had to do something different. He needed to send a, a, a lamb that would be the sacrificial lamb once and for all. Take away the sins of the world. And so he sent a son, Jesus. He came to, to dwell among us. So that he could offer his life as a sacrifice for our sin. a sacrifice of atonement. It was his blood that that would purify the sins of all the world. Romans 3.25 says, God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through shedding of his blood to be received by faith. And so on a hill far away, on an old rugged cross, Jesus died to pay the penalty for our sins. And, and, the, and the reason that, that Jesus died was because it was the only way that God could both conquer sin and rescue you and me. He, he died in our place taking the, the weight of sin upon himself and, and he did it to give you and me salvation to save us from sin and to save us for eternal life. And perhaps a, The best way to end all this is to allow scripture to speak for itself. Hebrews chapter nine, verse 26 to 28. Christ has appeared once for all at the culmination of the ages to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. Just as people are destined to die once and after that to face judgment, so Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many. And he will appear a second time not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. Let's pray. Almighty God, I think sometimes we kind of take for granted this gift of salvation. We take your, your grace for granted. Oh. And that that attitude. It just, it cheapens that grace. It it cheapens the the fact that that Jesus hung on a cross to die for our sins. God, I pray that we we would never be tempted into taking our salvation for granted. And if you're here today and, and, and you haven't made that decision to put your faith in Jesus, then I wanna give you that opportunity right here, right now. That you would simply just pray um, right along with me these words. Almighty God, I need you. I look back on my life and realize I've been doing my own thing and running my own life. I need a new life. I hear about this grace that you have for someone even like me. I long for it. God, I'm so sorry. Those things I've said and done that have separated me from you. Would you please forgive me? God, right here, right now, I don't have it all figured out, but I'm gonna take a risk and enter into a relationship putting my faith in Jesus, my Lord and my Savior. I believe Jesus is your son and he died on the cross for my sins. I believe that you raised him from the dead three days later to conquer sin and death forever. I believe. Mighty God, today we, we all rededicate ourselves to you. In the midst of the brokenness and the things happening in this world, we get lost apart from Jesus. So God, would you remind us of of your great love for us in Jesus. Would you remind us that there's nothing we can do to make you love us less or more. That your love for us is perfect. So God, as we go out from place may, may we live as people who have been rescued people who have been bought by the blood of Jesus and that our, our witness in this world will be so compelling that others would want to know about your love and your grace for them. Father we love you and we praise you and we ask all this in Jesus name and all God's people say